The Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129 presents America This Week, a smart Catholic take on faith and culture with Father Matt Malone and Carrie Weber. Good day and welcome to the broadcast. I'm Father Matt Malone, Editor-in-Chief of America Magazine. And I'm Carrie Weber, Executive Editor for America. And each week we offer you the news and analysis from the intersection of the church and the world gathered by our team at America Magazine. And one of our team joins us here in the studio, uh, Kevin Clark, who is Senior Editor and Chief Correspondent for America. Great to see you, Kevin. Thanks for having me once again on these. This is penultimate. This is the penultimate, penultimate episode, episode of this broadcast. Yeah. As you know, um, we are uh, making a transition from uh, from broadcast radio to our uh, to podcasting from our new studio, uh, the William J. Lozer Studio here in Manhattan. And so we are going to be winding down this broadcast next week and um, launching a, a, a range of new audio products uh, for the upcoming year. We have a, this very interesting piece by uh, Anna Keating in uh, America Magazine. At, you can find it at americamagazine.org about how some evangelical churches are adopting some Catholic practices. Indeed. So we've got Anna Keating on the show today. She is a frequent contributor to America. She's the co-author of The Catholic Catalog, a field guide to the daily acts that make up a Catholic life. And she's the Catholic chaplain at Colorado College. Anna Keating, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's fun to be back on. We're very glad to have you. Uh, So you grew up in Colorado Springs, Colorado, um, which you describe as a kind of evangelical New Jerusalem. So you have uh, some experience um, with the, the evangelical Christian culture just, just from being immersed in it, right? Absolutely. Um, Colorado Springs, Colorado is my hometown, and it has over 100 evangelical ministries, and it's a home to a really large evangelical megachurch, New Life Church, with over 10,000 members. Um, So I've definitely grown up around evangelicalism and kind of in many ways still, because I live in my hometown, am immersed in evangelical culture. And I'm very fascinated by it as a Christian, as a believer. I'm really interested in what's going on in other Christian denominations and churches. Did you have um, a good experience growing up in terms of sort of uh, ecumenical dialogue around that, if that's what you can call it when you're a kid <laughs> talking about these issues? I think it was it was difficult for me in a lot of ways uh, growing up in Colorado Springs. Um, I was a seeker. I went to all the different churches in my hometown. Um, I've always been really fascinated by God and interested in how people try to worship him. Uh, but I knew that there was this real division. I didn't understand it, uh, but I knew that it was there. So I went to um, youth group, for example, at New Life, um, which is a huge, huge building off the interstate. And I remember the youth minister saying to me, we're not like those monks in Monty Python chanting nonsense and banging books on our heads. <laughs> and I remember it because it stung a little bit because I knew what he meant. And I knew that was code for we're not Catholics. We don't believe in um, Latin. We don't believe in monasticism. We don't believe in the old stuff. We're doing a new thing. Um, and that was my experience with um, mega church worship growing up was that it was sort of about out with the old and in with the new. Um, and so I was really surprised now that I'm working at Carter College. Um, this piece came out of an experience with a student who had grown up atheist and um, had discovered that she now believed in God and was doing a similar thing that I had done. She was going to every church in town and seeking um, to find which church in which she would like to be baptized. Um, And she went to New Life downtown and said, I can't tell the difference uh, between this church and the Catholic church. 
And when I heard that, my eyes got really wide because my experience was that their style of worship was very different. And so I wanted to go and speak to them and see for myself what was happening and what had been happening over the last eight or 10 years. So what are some of those changes that have been happening? Basically, um, a lot of Protestant churches and formerly iconoclastic uh, churches, both in the mainline and in megachurch spaces, um, are adopting Catholic, for lack of a better word, practices, liturgical practices. They are adopting um, the liturgical calendar. They're preaching about All Saints Day. Um, They're adopting sacramentals. They're using ashes on Ash Wednesday. Um, They are participating in communion. Something that used to happen a couple of times a year is now happening at most locations every Sunday. Um, So this is a major shift that's happening, I think, is important for Catholics to know about. Would you, uh, years ago I had a conversation, I think it was with Dr. Uh, Martin Marty, the Lutheran uh, theologian in Chicago, and he uh, he has a sort of cackle when he finds something really amusing, and he was talking about how the Hispanic, uh, the rise of Hispanics in America was going to smuggle, as he put it, smuggle Mary into the Protestant church. <laughs> Is that is that sort of is that sort of what you're seeing happening? Is it because of the the influence of new Hispanic uh, church members that some of these Catholic, you know, traditions and uh, observances are coming uh, coming in? That's really interesting. What I found in my interviews was that was not the case. Um, New Life has moved to a parish model, so they now have seven locations around town in addition to their large um, megachurch building. Um, and actually, their Spanish-speaking community um, is mostly ex-Catholics, and so they, that is the one uh, place where they don't have communion, for example, on Sundays. Um, there's a lot of people who have had painful experiences with the Catholic Church who are not as interested in these practices. What was so fascinating to me is what I was actually finding was people who had grown up in evangelicalism, um, which, for example, had been very uncomfortable with things like the Catholic Church's teachings on Mary, actually feeling that something was missing and wanting to learn about Mary, wanting to learn about saints, um, wanting to learn about tradition. So it was actually coming from people who had not grown up with it and just said, wow, this stuff is really beautiful. This stuff is really cool. And some people were actually leaving evangelical megachurches for more traditional churches. And I think the megachurches were responding to that and recognizing that they needed to meet those people's needs um, who were looking for something a little bit more theologically deep or rooted in tradition. I think one of the other things that struck me as I was reading your piece is, um, look, it, would, it, 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 it might be a temptation for some Catholics to get kind of triumphalist about this, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. we should avoid any hint of that. And, and I think one of the reasons why we should, apart from its sheer, uh, 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 you know, prejudice, is that, you know, these things, these these sort of symbols or sacramentals that they're importing, as it were, or, or creating uh, within their own churches, they are rooted in the sacramental economy of the church. They're symbols of, of that. But, but, but the, the sacramental economy of the Catholic Church is rooted in something that's even more fundamentally human, which I think is a kind of epistemological realism. I think it, it recognizes the reality that in order for things to be real to people, for them to become real, we have to be able to touch them and taste them and, and say them and hear them um, in a way that people might say, um, you know, I know you love me, but you never say it, right? Like, it's important right. that human beings hear 
receive through their senses, right? That which they come to know. And so it, it, there might just be an element of that happening, that they're, that they're, they're seeing at a human level um, how compelling uh, this, this kind of sensory experience can be. That's right. I definitely don't want this to be a triumphalist piece. I'm just really trying to be curious because I think most people, Catholic or Protestant, are looking for something deeper mm -hmm. and more embodied than the typical American experience of church. And what's fascinating to me about this movement is that in many ways over the last 30 years, we've been zigging and they've been zagging, right? We've become more Protestant in appearance. And meanwhile, mainline churches and evangelical megachurches are becoming more Catholic in appearance. And I think sometimes we've been somewhat embarrassed of some of the kind of foreignness um, of our embodied spiritual practices, um, the oil and the incense and the bells that didn't feel very American um, and felt a little um, hocus pocus, perhaps. We maybe had a little bit of shame about some of these beautiful traditions. Um, and someone who maybe doesn't have that baggage is just saying, look at this, this is really beautiful. Right. And ironically, maybe isn't finding it in some Catholic parishes where some of these beautiful practices may have been de-emphasized over the last 30 years. And what's interesting is when you ask uh, a lot of Protestants um, who are, uh, are people of faith, what, if there is something about Catholicism that they admire, what they usually talk uh, about is the, the, the kind of uh, uh, aesthetic of Catholicism and it's uh, the way that it, it, the pageantry, the sort of glorious pageantry of it. Um, I remember Mitt Romney, in his, uh, when he was running for president, he gave a speech about his own faith, and he talked about what he admired in each of the faith traditions, and that was the thing that he identified in, in Catholicism. Uh, and so, Anna, you and your husband run Keating Woodworking, right? Is that what it's called? Keating Woodworks. I, Keating Woodworks, okay. And you are doing, in part, sort of a rest, like uh, restorations of churches or the, the you know, creating altarpieces or um, ambos or... Uh, all sorts of things that go into churches, right? Um, how does that uh, sort of connect you to some of the themes that are in this piece? Like the the, the mega churches are not known for their sort of architecture, um, but but uh, do you see some elements of of trying to incorporate sort of the structural beauty of the church as well? Is there any stained glass showing up anywhere? <laughs> uh, not a lot of stained glass, no. Um, yeah, so I have a personal interest in this piece, and that's what drives all my writing. And part of that is that my husband is an artist. He's a woodworker. Um, so we have one business, Keating Woodworks, um, which I help with, where the standalone pieces, tables and chairs. And we have another business called Sacred Spaces, which restores and does all of the interior woodworking elements for churches. We just recently did a Spanish mission revival here in Colorado Springs. Um, that was a beautiful old building, a lower-income community on the west side of town. Um, but everything was, you know, falling apart, and it needed a full restoration. And we were really happy to be able to live our faith um, in that way by creating a beautiful church, um, everything from the altar and the um, pews to um, window treatments. Um, that was a big project, all that coming out of my house. So yeah, I think that it does matter a lot. And I think for my generation, beauty is not a culture war issue, which is so, so appealing. <laughs> um, it's not about uh, 
being a Democrat or a Republican, it speaks to every single human heart. I think it's a human need and a human right. And one of the things that we have religion for is to um, be in a beautiful building that makes our hearts, it lifts them up. It lifts them up to God. And it um, speaks to who God is, the author of beauty. So I think that these needs are very real, just as you spoke of the need to experience God in our bodies. Um, we taste him in the Eucharist um, to see our prayers rising up like incense, right? We live in bodies. Um, and the church needs to be, I believe, a space that speaks to who we are as human beings. It speaks to our dignity. And I think sometimes, again, um, in America, we have somewhat de-emphasized um, the importance of those spaces and the art that's within them and, and ask, asking ourselves, does it really bear the weight of the mystery? Is it very welcoming? Um, do people come in and feel moved? Um, because it's a heart thing. Hmm. I think that that's a really great question. And, you know, that that is a, it, I, I, I believe it's one of the transcendentals <laughs> along with the good and the true. I, I mean, the be what beauty is, is fundamental to the human experience, right? And, um, uh, and it's an important way that we come to know. Um, you know, we have been talking a little bit about what it is that, you know, evangelical Christians may be taking from the Catholic tradition. What do you think Catholics uh, can learn from the evangelical tradition, from their churches? That is such a great question. <laughs> I love so many things about Pentecostalism, and this piece, I could go on and on. There are actually charismatic Catholics. 50,000 of them prayed over uh, Pope Francis in Rome's Olympic Stadium. So there are many Catholics who are drawn to elements of the Pentecostal worship experience. Um, and I love many things about the experience. I would say one thing we can learn about it is the laying on of hands. If you go to an evangelical megachurch, there's a team of people who are ready to pray over you after every service. And I think that that's a really strong need that we have in our culture of touch. Um, and there's a lot of fear in the Catholic Church, even to bless a child, uh, because of some of the clerical sex abuse and other things that have happened. But I think people need to feel that that's an option if you are someone who wants to be touched. I mean, my husband doesn't even want to hold hands during the Our Father, but there are people who long to be touched and have the laying on of hands as a beautiful part of Pentecostal worship. Another thing I think we could learn from evangelicals is the practice of giving testimony. Lay people regularly stand up and tell what Jesus means to them, what Christ has done for them, and share their faith story. And I do think that we need to empower lay people in Catholic spaces to share their stories, and that not happening is a big problem because there are people in the pews who have incredible stories, and we're not hearing those stories um, in the sanctuary. Sure. Um, and then also, I think, as a young girl growing up in Colorado Springs, as a Catholic girl, I was impressed to see women being invited to break open the word. Um, and that's something else, too, that I heard from many people who had looked at Catholicism and decided not to come um, because of a lot of reasons. But one thing that came up was um, not knowing if there would be a place for them as women who wanted to be able to share either their testimony or to be able to share um, about what was happening when they were reading and studying the scriptures. So we come full circle to our original discussion of women deacons and the problem of, of the absence of women in the church and that, and that kind of I visibility. Think, yeah. yeah. And I think if we want Christian unity, I wrote this piece during the week when Catholics pray for Christian unity, it starts by getting to know each other and admitting humbly that no church is perfect and that we need the gifts of these different um, distant cousins, you might say, <laughs> right, right. and imagining and having the, um, the vision to imagine what it would be like if we were unified and all the good work we could do together to serve the poor and to be the church. Well, I was, I was saying during the break that uh, there, one of the things that always impresses me about uh, some 
uh, of the evangelical communities that I've visited is the hospitality. And uh, I think that that is something that we could do a lot better job of in in uh, our parishes. Um, you know, just I, I remember visiting this one mega church uh, in Houston a couple of years ago and and from the moment I got out of my car to the moment I left, I was just I was welcomed repeatedly, and not in this very heavy-handed way, but just just in a warm and with a warm and generous spirit. And uh, uh, I don't always encounter that uh, <laughs> in in our parishes. Some parishes are really really good at it; uh, others not so much. Yeah, I wonder if that goes down back to the the uh, the nationalist church approach or the ethnic church approach that. Uh sort of closed off people so much in, in some respects. But I think it's also, you like, in our, we go back to our survey, right, the survey of, of, of women in the church, it was about 24% of women w- went weekly or more to Mass, right? Mm-hmm. It was 20% went weekly, 4% went more than weekly. Um, and But people still identify as, as Catholic, but they're not bothering to sort of show up on a weekly basis to Mass, which mm-hmm. is, you know, generally considered a big part of, of being Catholic. So, why why not and I, part of it is some of the many reasons we've discussed but i think a lot of times people just don't feel like they're part of a community right like if you show up that you're like wanted you might show up and like someone gives you a side eye cuz your kids are too loud or you might show up and no one says anything to you and you just leave and like there's some sometimes there's there's real value in just praying together silently you don't have to have chit chat all the time during you know right. it's not like we're advocating for like everyone um having like discussion circles during mass but at, you want to have someone to like wave to or say hello or care that you showed up right uh and like you're saying sometimes it just it doesn't happen um and i think it has to be a very deliberate effort because it's not easy to go up to somebody you know half the time you go to mass and people go like literally from the communion uh line out the back out the door, door. Yeah. like they're like i they're the parking situation the parking. is terrible yeah. i gotta get out before everybody else does first to the donuts whatever it is right well we it, tried to they were, coffee and donuts is important it is but if you yeah that's, if you have how, donuts can kid, keep you there to know people yeah, right yeah. right like little it's little even little things like that it becomes sort of like a joke like oh the church was gonna give you coffee and donuts and you can stay but stay well, talk that's, to people. that's how you, you yeah you talk to people and and uh, i i i can attest to the testimonial uh aspects that uh, anna mentioned uh anna you you were saying that uh we could learn from that uh my parish retreat group that's one of the primary um experiences that we have is, is getting men up to talk about it's a men's retreat group uh talk about uh you know their uh their lives and how the faith has informed their lives and uh, i up until that I started going on this retreat four years ago. I never experienced that in a Catholic church. Yeah. Storytelling is really powerful. That's another human need, just like beauty, I think, is that we're storytelling animals and that we need to tell our stories and we need to hear other people's stories. And that's where there's a lot of consolation that's being missed, I think. And it's interesting because I also think preaching is really important. And, um, you know, most Catholics don't understand the beauty of these traditions of even the most fundamental thing, right? The Eucharist, um, the real presence. And I think sometimes in, in the Catholic church, we're thinking that people know things they don't know and we're not preaching about them. And I think the evangelical megachurches realized that same thing. And they said, wow, people don't really know the basics. So we need to start reciting the creed because it's really profoundly formative to make sure everybody understands the story. And same in Catholic spaces, we don't know a 
lot of what's going on, and it's not um, beneath us to preach on the mystery of the Mass. It makes it a lot more um, meaningful if you know what you're experiencing, <laughs> you know, if you know why you're taking that hour out of your week. I think that that's absolutely right. You know, I always, uh, uh, as a priest, you know, we have this the general instruction of the Roman Missal, and it's always very clear that a homily can be given um, on the gospel reading, on some other reading from Scripture that we had that day, on a part of the Mass or on a part of the Creed. And mm-hmm. uh, I have, I, I myself have done that from time to time. Like, I mean, one of the most popular homilies I ever gave was about what consubstantial meant, right? Yeah. And I mean, not a treatise, not an academic lecture, but like basically what it means and what it might mean to us as Catholics to believe yep. that, what it might mean for our lives. I, I agree with you. I think there's a real hunger for that stuff. And sometimes Catholics are embarrassed to admit that they don't know it. I think probably even yeah. more so if you're someone who does show up regularly. You're yeah. like, uh, I, sh- I should probably know this. Right, so right. if I ask, the father's going to look at me weird the next time I show up or whatever. I can always blame Vatican II uh, craziness <laughs> in the late 60s and early 70s. For yeah, my, everything. My, my that sounds healthy. Everything that sounds like a great idea. We're out of donuts. Well, everything changed after Vatican II. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I had three different missiles as a child. It was, right. it was confusing. <laughs> okay. Uh, Anna, just we have about two minutes left. Just quickly, do you uh, did did you find that um, we were talking about the hospitality that the people you were interviewing at these churches were excited to talk to you about it and welcoming you in in those questions? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I love most about being a writer is that I'm a nosy person, and you get to ask people questions, and they will tell you the answer. <laughs> and so it was really wonderful to just ask people, hey, why are you celebrating communion, and what does that mean to you, and has there been a corresponding change in your theology? You know, if you change your liturgy, has it changed your ethics? And I really am curious, and so I, I was honored that people were open and willing to meet with me and tell me about their faith journey or why they decided to stay, or people who left. I interviewed a lot of people who ended up um, the Orthodox Church in Colorado Springs is about 80% converts from evangelicalism about their journey to that church. Um, so it was really lovely, and I felt very welcomed, and it was very kind of them to be open to me, knowing that I'm a Roman Catholic writer, but I'm just very curious in um, what they're doing and, and how they're making their community work. Well, the piece is called um, "How uh, Why Evangelical Megachurches Are Embracing Some Catholic Traditions. It's by Anna Keating, and it's in the May 2nd issue of America Magazine. You can find it at americamagazine.org. Anna, thanks so much for being with us, and thank you very much for that Catholic handbook. It's fantastic. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I, I really do love that thing. Yeah, it's good. I blurbed it. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, so, that must have been that must that's why you that must be why it. you wanted to buy it. Well, yeah. listen, should we plug the the furniture business as well here? Has anyone got any of their furniture? Well, I haven't sure it's wonderful. Have you I've seen the pictures chairs? of the church. No, I've seen pictures of the church. It looks beautiful. <laughs> Sacred right. space. It's a very okay. talented family, the yeah. Keatings. Yeah. And uh, I mean, no, it's it's uh, they are pretty talented. Colorado Springs, isn't that where the Air Force Academy is too? Maybe. Yeah. 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 Yes, it is. Um, I also want to give a shout out to the Archbishop of Chicago, uh, Cardinal Blaise Shupich, who has this wonderful piece in America, which we didn't get to today, but is nonetheless worth a read. It's called How Mary Can Be a Bridge Between Christians and Muslims. Um, and I'm not going to give our listeners a pricey. They can go to America Magazine and read about it, but it's really, really interesting. Uh, and in the spirit of what we were just talking about, uh, not only ecumenical dialogue, but interreligious dialogue as well. Building bridges all the time. Building bridges. You have been listening to America This Week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. To read any more about the stories that we mentioned today, you can uh, go to americamagazine.org. And to subscribe to America, call 1-800-627-9533. 
That's 1-800-627-9533 for a smart Catholic take on faith and culture. For Kevin Clark and Kerry Weber, I'm Father Matt Malone. Thank you and good day. Listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.